All right. Matthew 9. We can do this. Matthew chapter 9. As told by a scoundrel, that's the series we've been in going through the book of Matthew. Uh, lately, we've been talking about Jesus' authority over the curse. We've been looking at his miracles. We've been looking at him um, stepping into situations and demonstrating his power. His power over sickness and disease. Power over demonic oppression. His, his power over fear. That was Pastor Bill's message last week, fear. Next week, we got one more on this theme. Next week is one more. Cindy Dornacker has a testimony we're going to be showing. I encourage you to definitely be here for that. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about his authority to forgive sins. And, 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 and the specific uh, point that I want to try to make is really in the form of a question. And, and, and that question is this. Do you believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins? Or is he just another rabbi? Is he just another teacher? And before you quickly answer that in your head, like, oh, of course, I believe he has authority to forgive sins. I'm a Christian, Pastor Chris. Um, do, you, do you really, though? Do you really? Do you act like it? Do you live like it? Does it, does it, does it drive your heart? Uh, or, or, or do you constantly wallow in, in the shame and the guilt of, of your sins and beat yourself up and feel like you have to make up for it and feel like you have to justify your existence through accomplishments and through uh, religious activity? Or do you really, can you really rest in the fact that he's, he's forgiven you? And maybe the other extreme, that we t sometimes take his forgiveness for granted and, and then we look down on other people and, and we're quick to judge other people and we're quick to label other people because they don't measure up to our standard of how people should behave. We were um, on our way back from North Carolina. We stopped at Washington, D.C. for a night, and we, we went and visited some, some different things there, and we saw the Washington Monument. Uh, here's a photo of my kids standing in front of it. You can kind of see them. They're really small, obviously, and there's the Washington Monument. Um, that is not the tallest structure in the world, but they were asking as, after we left there, what's, what's the tallest building? And we were talking about it, and we, we um, pulled up, uh, uh, the tallest building is in Dubai, and we pulled it up, and, and Tessa, our, our six-year-old, was like, let me see a picture of that. Um, and so Jess handed her a picture of this big building in Dubai. And Tessa's response was, oh, that's not that big. <laughs> that's not that big, she says. Now, why did she say that that's not that big? N number one, she's six. Um, and number two, she was looking at a photo, and in her, you know, her six-year-old body is bigger than this photo, so she couldn't comprehend the, the, the perspective. She didn't have that, that, that perspective that we, we might have and go, oh, yeah, okay, I can see how big that is and how much bigger, you know, that might seem in, in real life. She didn't, she couldn't comprehend that. And, and sometimes that happens with God's forgiveness of us. We, 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 we look at it, and we go, ah, it's not that big of a deal. It was a big deal a long time ago when I was really stuck in that crisis, but not not anymore. It's not that big of a deal. It, it, it seems small to me now, and other people's sins seem really big to me now. Hmm? Right? Or my own sin seems really big to me now. We beat ourselves up, and so um, uh, you might call yourself a Christian, but I still want to pose that question. Do you really believe Jesus has the authority to grant you forgiveness, to, to swing open the prison doors and go, hey, you're free. You're free or is he just another rabbi? Is he just another teacher? Is he, is he just another figure who has some moral code that he's spouting off, some good teachings to say that you can pick and choose from? And sometimes we, we call ourselves Christians, but we take his teachings and we say, you know what, I like that, I'm going to apply that, I'm going to live by that. That one, nah, 
no, that's a little more inconvenient for me, so I'm going to kind of figure out my loopholes and not follow that one, like we do with doctors sometimes. I like that one, doc, but this one, you know, it's a resource. He's not my Lord, right? And then we do this with Jesus. And then, of course, if you're not a Christian in here, uh, this question is for you too. Which category? He either has the authority to forgive sins or he's just another teacher, in which case he had some good things to say, but other things were pretty crazy, the claims he made, if he was just another rabbi. So um, that's the question I want to pose to you, and, and um, we're just going to dive in here. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. So some people think that this might have been Peter's house that Jesus was at. He was, Peter's house was kind of like a headquarters of sorts at times. So uh, this could have been Peter's house. We don't know for sure. But either way, uh, he's at this house. We know from Luke's, Luke and Mark both have this story. They, they give more details. And we know from their accounts that the house was packed with people. Like it was, it was, it was crowded. It was overflowing. Uh, any, in this time, when a rabbi was at your house, it was assumed... It was expected that your house was open to everybody in town. Everybody can come over. You didn't have a specific guest list. You didn't have a bouncer at the door saying you're not on the list. Everybody could come in and could hear this rabbi and could check out what he was going to say. It doesn't matter if you knew the host or not. It's kind of like in high school, you ever, you know, you're driving around with your friends and you're like, hey, did you hear Skip's having a party? Let's go over to Skip's house. And after five minutes, somebody's like, does anybody here know Skip? I'm like, ah, I think I met him once. Anyway, let's get to Skip's house. And it doesn't matter. Everybody just shows up at Skip's house, and Skip ends up getting grounded the next day for every too many people. And you don't care. You're just stopping at Skip's house for the party. It's kind of like that. The rabbi's in town, so we're all just going to flood the house. And so we know from the other accounts, from Mark and Luke, uh, uh, th these friends of a paralyzed man show up, and they can't get in. It's so crowded. They can't get in. They're like, man, we want to bring our friend to Jesus, but it's so crowded. We can't get through the crowd. And so what they do, Matthew doesn't tell us this detail, but the other accounts do. They go up on the roof, and they dig a hole in the roof, and they let the man down through the, through the hole in order to get to Jesus. Now, you have to wonder what kind of conversation that must have been like before they did that. Like, hey, you know, what do we say we go up on the roof with them? I don't know. I, I, that's generally frowned upon, to dig a hole in somebody's roof. I don't know if we should do that. And the guy lying on the mat is like, wait a second, what? What are you guys thinking about doing with me? You're going to bring me up where? Like, Come on, shh, let's take them up. And they bring them up, and they dig this hole. They're so desperate to get to Jesus. They're so desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They, they, they have this, this idea that Jesus can do something about We don't know if this guy had a family or not. We don't know if he was uh, paralyzed for a long, long time or if it was a recent accident. We don't know. But we, 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 we know that the friends had a determination to get their friend to Jesus because they believed Jesus was something, some kind of solution to their friend's needs. Let's keep going. When Jesus saw their faith... When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? The, the, the friends. The friends' faith. Now, how do you see somebody's faith? How do you see somebody's faith? You see it in action. Faith leads to action. The book of James tells us faith without works is dead. Faith leads to action. There's an old analogy that I heard um, 
there was a, a, a man standing with a, a tightrope walker, and they were looking up at this, this tightrope, and the guy who's doing the walking said to his buddy, he said, hey, do you believe I can walk across that? And the guy says, yeah, I believe you can. And, the guy, and then the first guy says, all right, get on my back. Right? It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to put your faith into it. Faith without works is dead. You, you, you show your faith by your actions. And so these guys, these friends of the paralyzed man, had such a faith that Jesus was uh, uh, someone who could offer their friend a solution. That they dug a hole in, a, in, a, in a, you know, somebody else's roof. I, I, I'm not a legal expert in the, the codes of that time, but I just don't think that was appropriate. But they did it. And they had to justify it in their head because they thought, man, we're so desperate. And that guy, Jesus, can offer us something. And so they bring their disabled friend up on the roof, lower him down. Jesus sees their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, what did he say? He said to the man, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now you've got to wonder what, what the paralyzed man was thinking at that point. My sins are forgiven. I thought I was here to get healed. Maybe the friends were thinking that, wait a second, wait a second. We dug the hole in the roof. We went through all that trouble because we thought you were going to heal our friend. That's what, he, that's what he needs. That's his urgent need right now is, is, is healing. Why did, Jesus, why did Jesus say this? We don't know for sure. Uh, there, there's different theories. Some have said that it's, it's because, God bless you, Tom. Um, oh, Tom just messed me up. Where was I? <laughs> So, some, some, some have speculated that the, the reason Jesus said your sins are forgiven um, is because the man had a trauma in the past. He, 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 had, uh, uh, he was um, weighed down by shame from a specific sin, a specific thing in his past, and it was somehow affecting him physiologically. And Jesus knew this and said your sins are forgiven uh, because, you know, that does happen. You know, our, our past, our mistakes, our sins, our shame affect us physiologically. That, that does happen. We don't know if that's the case, though. We don't know if that's what Jesus was, was getting after. Some have said it's because in that time it, it was uh, often believed uh, amongst the Jews, that if you had a chronic ailment, a sickness, a paralysis, that it was because of a specific sin of yours. You must have sinned to cause God to bring this on you. Now, the Bible doesn't teach this explicitly, but a lot of them believe that. What the Bible does teach, however, is that all sickness and disease are a result of the curse of this world. This world is cursed, and the curse of this world is a result of the sin of humanity. So all our sins... Responsible for the curse, and with that comes sickness and disease. And so at the very least, Jesus is getting at his spiritual... Oh, yes, no, no. Now, the only way somebody can speak on my behalf is if I am so intimately acquainted with them. We have communicated on a regular basis. We are, we are so in tune, and I have given them the authority to speak on my behalf. That's the only way that somebody can tell them that good news. But imagine that they're at their house, and they're beating themselves up. They're like, man, we crashed this car. We feel bad. We can't pay for it. You know, we're just going through this hard time financially. And imagine my daughter knocks on their door and says, hey, guys, here's a letter from my dad. He's canceling your debt. Don't worry. He wants you to come over for dinner tonight. He wants you to spend time. And they're going to think, okay, well, who's going to pay for it? And my daughter says, don't worry. It's coming out of my college fund. Somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's got to pay for it. 
how forgiveness works. You, you, just, you don't just say, forgive it. Somebody's got to pay for the damage that's been done. So my, my daughter said, don't worry. My college fund is not as important as your relationship with my dad. Come on over for dinner. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus claims to be able to do. My father is offering forgiveness. I'm speaking on his behalf. Your sins are forgiven. How could he just say that? Because he's going to go to the cross. And he's going to make the payment. He's going to pay for that debt. Somebody's got to pay. He, Jesus came to pay. He's on his way to the cross. So he can say to this man, your sins are forgiven. He can speak for God. But the religious leaders, they're not, they're not happy about that. They find it to be a, a threat to their, their sense of religious control. They, 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 they have things in a box. They were expecting the Messiah to come in a certain shape and form and to support their system, support them. And Jesus was a threat to them. So they're, 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 they're whispering amongst themselves. And look what it says next. Oh, grab the wrong thing. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? He, says, he calls their thoughts evil. Not because they're, they're doubting. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way to sincerely doubt. There's a way to sincerely seek and to kind of go, okay, this stuff about Jesus doesn't make sense. I'm open. I want to learn. I don't get it. There's a testimony on our website from, about my dad and his journey of seeking and, and trying to make sense of everything and traveling around the country, debating with people, trying to make sense of, 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 of Scripture and, and, and the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Um, he doubted it. He was skeptical of it. But he was seeking sincerely. And, uh, these religious leaders, they didn't have a sincere, open heart. They were cynical because he was a threat. And so that's why Jesus calls uh, their thoughts evil, I think. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your head? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Now, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't prove Jesus wrong. Jesus says to Sammy, your sins are forgiven, Sammy. Nobody can say, no, they're not. Look, they're still there, right? They're not forgiven. You, you can't prove him wrong. But if he says to somebody, get up and walk, you can prove him. They're not walking. Clearly, you don't have the authority to say that because this guy's not walking. So Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Then, verse 7, I'm sorry, no, uh, verse, verse 6. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat and go home. So Jesus is very clear what the purpose of this miracle is. I want you to know that the Son of Man, talking about himself, has authority on earth, came to earth, God became a baby, God came into flesh. I want you to know that God became a baby in order to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, take up your mat and go home. If, he, if this guy is going to get up and go home, if this guy responds to that, then people around could go, oh, wow. He must really have authority to forgive sins. If he can get up and walk, if he can do that, then yeah, maybe we can believe that he's got the authority to forgive our sins. So this miracle is going to prove the credibility of his claims that he can forgive sins, but it's also a taste of what the forgiveness of sins leads to. 
Because the forgiveness of sins is, is not the end goal. The end goal is reconciliation with God. And then to become a part of his kingdom and adopted into his family. And then to become heirs of all that his kingdom is and has for us. And so that's, that's, that, that's complete restoration of this creation one day. This whole earth will be restored one day. And we're going to get glorified, resurrected bodies one day. And we're going to get to reign with Jesus on that earth one day. And animals are going to be restored to the way they're supposed to be. It says the, the lion and the, 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 the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. And we get to be part of that. And so restoration and, 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 and freedom from sin and, and, and freedom from addiction, all of that is part of this kingdom life that we get when sins are forgiven. Sins block us from experiencing that. When those sins are forgiven us, then it's access to that kingdom life. And so if this guy gets up and walks, his body will die eventually. But it's a taste of, that healing miracle is a taste of that resurrection body in the future. It's a taste of that kingdom life. And the purpose of us being forgiven of sins is to experience that life that Jesus came to give us in the first place. He says in John 10.10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and life abundantly. That life abundantly is made possible only when our sins are forgiven us. And so what happens Verse 8 went, uh, verse 7, then the man got up and went home. Got up. He obeyed Jesus. He heard his voice. This man has been a passive participant in this story up to this point. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't said anything. We have no idea what he's thinking. His friends bring him to Jesus. But at some point, he's got to be the one to respond to Jesus' voice. And he does. He gets up. He goes home. He takes a step of faith, right? He moves his body, gets up, right? Everybody, and, and the crowd is amazed. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. They're like, whoa. Now, are they praising God for the authority that he has to, to heal the man or to forgive the sins? I think both. I think all together. I think the whole moment. I think Jesus demonstrating his authority. I think the wisdom of Jesus' words. I think it all hit them. They're like, whoa, holy cow. That, that this guy, this man, has the authority of heaven, has the authority of the same God who spoke the world into existence. He forgives sins. He can release us from our debts. And he can tell a man to get up and walk. He came to restore not just our physical deformities, but our spiritual deformities. The brokenness on the inside, releasing us from that prison. So the question I started with was, do you believe Jesus has authority to forgive sins, or is he just another rabbi? you got to answer this one for yourself, and you got to answer it again, honestly. Okay, if I, if I say I believe this, if I call myself a Christian, am I living like it? Am I living like it? And if so, if so, then the next, the next thing is that we've got to get up and walk. We've got to be the ones to get up and, and walk. If you believe he's forgiven your sins, live like it. Walk like it. Change. What do you need to walk out of and walk into? If the prison doors have been open, some of us stay there in the prison and go, it's nice to know that they're open for me. It's nice to know I'm free to go. But I'm going to sit here for a while. It's more comfortable. That's what some of us do with our mindsets and our addictions and our, our patterns of behavior. 
That's what some of us do when we nurse old wounds. Nurse old wounds. But it's harder for me as a preacher to say that God can change that situation, that circumstance, that hopelessness that you're dealing with, that relational brokenness that you're dealing with, that family member's pain. It's, it's harder for me to say, he'll, it's easier for me to say, well, he'll forgive your sins. Because I can't be proven wrong. But to say, oh, he'll change you. You might, have to t- you might have to hear his voice and take that step. Well, he'll change that circumstance. And there's a lot of people in here who are feeling the weight of hopeless circumstances and situations. So I want to pray for you in, in a few moments. Um... But I want to give us a few questions to reflect on, to really try to take this story seriously, I guess. Um, so I'm going I'm to call the band up, and, and, and I'm going to give us five questions to reflect on before I hand it off to them. First question is this. And maybe if we could just kind of dim the lights so we have... I don't know, just an atmosphere of, of reflection. So the, the first question is, is this one. Do you believe you're a sinner? Let's start there. I'm going to start very basic. Do you believe that you are a sinner? Not a mistaker. Not, oh, I'm a little imperfect. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against God. I've, I've, I've taken the things that God has created, and I've elevated them and said, these are my God's. And God has become small, just like my daughter in the beginning with the building in Dubai. It's not that big. That's not that big. That's what we do as sinners. We say, God, I don't need you. I don't need your way. I'm not going to submit to you. I'm, I'm going to go my own way. Being a sinner, do you believe that? If, if yes, if yes, then we'll move on to number two. But I want you to take a moment to really say, do I believe that? I know I say I believe it on paper. I know it's the you know, right answer in Sunday school. Do I believe that? Man, I'm a sinner. Man, I don't, just, I don't just make mistakes because of insecurities and past trauma. And I, I'm not knocking those excuses, but there's more than that. We've got hearts that are bent towards selfishness self-righteousness so if the answer is yes number two do you believe those sins need to be forgiven not made up for not 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 that you can counterbalance them with with some good deeds not where you track it like you know calories in and calories out right how this works. Do you believe they need to be forgiven? Some of the ways you can know if you really believe this is how you look at other people's sins. How you look at other people's sins is a good barometer as to whether or not you really believe you have sins that need to be forgiven or whether or not you believe you have sins that... ah, I've kind of cleaned myself up enough compared to most other people or really bad people out there where I'm not in need of grace. I don't stand in need of grace. I don't live in need of grace. 
they do. I saw this thing on the internet the other day. It's a, it's a little meme. Um, and I see a lot of things like this. And uh, if, if we call ourselves Christians, I, I just think it, it misrepresents the gospel. This is, this is what I saw on the internet, this little meme. May, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not fake. And I thought, hmm, hmm. The act of writing that is an act of being fake. But it's a way of justifying, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like those people. And we do that. I might make some mistakes. I might be a sinner, you know, but I'm not that kind of sinner. Right? And, and fake is, you know, such a buzzword, right? I'm not fake, I'm real. But really, the, the core of being a sinner is that we're self-righteous, is that we, we minimize our own sins and we make other people's sins bigger. I mean, if you've ever gossiped about somebody behind their back, that was an act of hypocrisy, right? Because you wouldn't want somebody to do that to you. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. I was thinking about this. And I've done that, right? I've been guilty of that. Gossip, I've been guilty of that. I'm guilty of being fake sometimes, right? You say you value something. I wish people were like this. And then you go and do the same thing. On a small scale recently, my, my, one of my daughters, she has a tendency to grab food out of like the common bowl with her fingers. I'm like, stop doing that. You can, you, nobody wants to eat your germs. And my wife was like, babe, you do that all the time. So I'm a fake. I'm a hypocrite. I can't claim to not be fake. I'm more than not perfect. I'm a fake sometimes. I'm a sinner. I, I need those sins forgiven. Do you really believe your sins need to be forgiven? And if yes, let's move on to number three. Do you believe Jesus can forgive those sins? Do you believe Jesus can forgive those sins? Do you believe that his death, his cross, his sacrifice, his blood is payment for those sins? Somebody has to pay the debt. You crash my car, somebody's paying. You pay or I pay. God absorbed the debt through Christ on the cross. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's why he came. No matter how big it is, no matter how big your sins were, are right now, or will be tomorrow, they can be forgiven. First John tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe that paralyzed man did need a clean conscience. Maybe he was weighed down by something. And if you're here and you're weighed down by something, he can give you that clean conscience. No matter what it is, God, forgive me. Oh, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, next one, number four, if you believe he can forgive those sins, do you believe he only he can forgive those sins? Because if there's multiple ways of getting those sins forgiven, then he didn't need to die. His blood didn't need to be spilled. Back to that car analogy, if I sent my daughter over to Jeannie and Michael's house and knock on the door and say, my dad wants to forgive that debt, you're released, don't worry about it. And they said, oh, sweetie, that's nice of you. But my uncle called and said that we're forgiven. So don't worry about it. Tell your dad thanks, but no thanks. 
I'd be like, it ain't your uncle's car. My car. Only I can release that debt. Only God can forgive the rebellion against him. My wife and I got married. I don't think this was in our vows, but um, it's in some traditional vows. It, it's, it's usually implied. I think it should probably be more explicitly stated um, in vows. But it's, it's that old phrase, forsaking all others. I promise to love and cherish you, da 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 da. Forsaking all others, right? I mean, that's what marriage is about. I'm, I'm, I'm saying no. I said yes to Jess. I was saying no to any other past girlfriend or any other future potential girlfriend. That's what I was saying. She was saying the same thing. That's what marriage is. And when we say yes to Jesus, I, I believe you can forgive my sins. What should be implicit in that is only you. I'm forsaking all others. I'm forsaking all other routes. No more justifying myself. No more making excuses for myself. No more comparing myself to those bad, wicked people out there as if I'm so much better than them. No more games. No more religious games. No more trusting in all types of different religious figures. Forsaking all others. Only you. Only you. Only you. That's what it means for him to be Lord. You forsake all others. And then finally, number five, if you have been forgiven, will you get up and walk? Will you hear his, heed his voice? Hear it, heed it, listen, obey it, submit to it, walk. What is he, what is he asking you to do today? What is, in what way is he asking you, get up and walk? And I'm not trying to just say that this physical healing is a metaphor for Everything, it, 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 it includes physical, right? And we've been praying the last previous weeks, and next week we'll be praying some more for any physical healings that are, that are needed. But uh, I, 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 I do think it speaks to all kinds of situations where you need to hear the voice of Jesus and get up and walk. Walk out of what you've been in, that negative mindset that you've been in. Walk out of that. Time. The unforgiveness that you've settled into, walk out of that. Maybe an ex-spouse that you need to forgive, walk out of that. I don't know what it might be for you. It's time. Give and walk. Show that the forgiveness of sins leads to a transformed life. Leads to Jesus changing your life. So let's stand. So I'll ask two groups of people to raise their hands, and you can raise your hands at the same time, and I'll just pray for you. And, and raising your hand is just, just a, it's just a way of humbly acknowledging, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm in need here. 
you came in and you're going through a rough, crappy time right now. If that's you, put your hand up. You're weighed down by something. Maybe some stuff is just weighing on you. It just seems hopeless and you're just so discouraged. All right, you, you hold on. Keep your hands up. Don't leave the next group hanging. You know that there's an area that, you, that God is saying you need, to, you, need to, you need to change. You need to make a change and you need to get up and walk. You need to, you need to heed my voice, get up and move, make a change. Walk out of that old life into this new life that I've invited you into, that I died to have, have to, I forgave your sins for. I want you to move into this now. Prison door has been thrown open, but you need to walk out. If that's you, there's an area of your life, would you put your hand up and join this first group? Okay, 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 okay. Keep your hands up and I'm just going to pray. That's all I'm going to do for you. I'm just going to pray. Jesus, these men and women that you love, I love them. The ones that I know, the ones that I, I'm in community with, I love them, but you love them so much more. The ones who are guests or visitors here today that maybe I don't know, you still love them so much. You love them. And God, I ask that you would intervene, that you would step into their situation they might feel as hopeless as that paralyzed man did. Who's going to fix me? Who's going to fix this? Tried everything. God, do something. Step in. I pray for some stories by the end of this week of you stepping in to impossible situations, bringing reconciliation where there is division, bringing healing where there is ailments, bringing healing to emotions where there is just so much pain. Do the impossible. I pray for those who raise their hands because they know a change is needed. They know that they have a step to take. I pray that you would give them the grace, the desire, the power to take that step. Maybe it's a conversation with someone. Maybe it's something that they have to stop doing. Maybe it's something they have to start doing. Maybe it's forgiveness that needs to be granted. They need to write a letter. They need to knock on a door and say the debt has been forgiven. Faith leads to action. Give them the grace to take that action. And for all of us, Jesus, for all of us, may your grace, may your forgiveness become so much bigger in our hearts so that we are filled with awe of it. May it not be like looking at a, a, a photo of that building in Dubai, but may it be like standing in front of it with our bodies feeling so small in comparison to your grace. I pray that for these men and women. And it's in Jesus' name. It's, in, it's in, not in my name, not in their names. It's your name, Jesus. You died. You rose again. You carry the authority. Amen. Let's just spend a little time singing.